Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Cynical Challenge Vodcast. We made it, episode two. Uh, my name is Grayson Knudsen here in Edmonton. So glad you could join us. Pleased to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeff Paulus, in beautiful St. Albert, sequestered somewhere in his home office, away from the noise of his dogs. JP, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Great day. Awesome. Yes, indeed. And Jeff Salisbury joins us from lovely Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He's managed to find a quiet spot in the house away from the wife and the kid. Jeff, how are we doing? <laughs> Uh, well, the daughter has an eye infection and trying to get the antibiotic ointment in her eye is like trying to wrestle something out of an alligator's mouth. So otherwise, life is swell. Okay. Uh, Lovely. Yes. How are you doing, Greg? Uh, good. Yeah, no worries. A uh, little cold. I wish we could get back outside and do yeah. a little bit more stuff, but the, the weather's not cooperating. But soon enough, you know, we're at the end of January. Spring is right around the corner. And um this past week, uh, Bellet's Talk Day, um, whether you believe in a mega corporation supporting something like that, the conversation itself is very important. And um, as someone who has, you know, not worked for the last year and dealt with financial stress, I understand mental health issues and it's important to, you know, be open and talk about these kinds of things. And I think it's important to kind of tie that in with a, a players union. And I know JP, you wanted to talk a little bit about that just in terms of just the mental health aspect of the security a players union can give to players in this country. Yeah, I felt that, you know, I understand this situation that a new league and, and the ownership groups are going under with, you know, with worrying about finances and especially 2020 being such a poor year for everybody uh, and bringing every sports uh, league across the world. And you talk about losses. So, but I don't see a players union as, as uh, an entity meant to drive up wages, meant to, you know, uh, attack the CPL and, and the CPL owners. I see, I see a players union as something that is, you know, it's necessary for the players. You know, we're, we're talking about, listen, I've, my family has mental health issues that throughout our family, you know, for many different reasons and many different causes. And uh, so it's, it's something that I care about and um, you know, but in the sporting world, and if we bring this back to then, you know, young soccer players, and, and these are young males and females, but they, they dedicate so much to their craft. They come through youth environments, top players, best players. They're, they're always making the best teams They're you know, they're on their way and, and they, they maybe get a foot in the door, a professional game, and then something takes it away a coach they don't agree with, uh, they can't get along with, they can't mesh with, uh, you know, a certain playing philosophy, uh, an injury. You know, there's so many reasons why athletes all of a sudden have that dream taken away. And, and we don't think about the, the ramifications of athletes and what do they have to go through? Because now they're by themselves. It's very much like coaching. You, you, when you're losing games, you, you're very much, um, you know, in, in a solitary position and it's quite lonely. And uh, players go through this when they suffer, you know, um, when they suffer a loss to their career, because what do they have now? And they, and they, uh, many don't have a backup plan. So for me, a player's union, you know, it's more than just, it's not a thing, you know, to, to talk about wages and let's, let's get the wage up through the roof where no one can afford to, to pay players. It's actually there to help protect players, um, for help protect players, you know, against things like, like mental health, um, maybe provide programs where, you know, it, when the playing career ends at an earlier age, maybe there's, there's systems to send them to school, like the uh, minor hockey has, where they send them to post-secondary, they can get an education, they, they have a plan B that way. But I just think that, um, you know, a players union uh, can be there so that some of these issues that we don't see, the invisible issues of mental health, um, are, are there's someone looking out for them, you know, in that regard. So, you know, I do support it for that reason. 
um, I, I think it's required. And, you know, especially in a brand new league like ours with so many young players getting their first, you know, their first step into the game, something like this would surely help these, these young ones deal with, um, deal with uh, rejection, uh, deal with not, not finding success and, and failing in some cases. So, yeah, I mean, there's my little, little bit on that. It's a great, it's a great lead in discussion, Grayson, you know, towards the benefits of a player's union um, for so many of our young athletes. Absolutely. Sally, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this topic? No, I fully agree. I think that it's quite frankly shameful uh, in the way that the league has spoken about uh, the potential players union up to this point. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a, a you know, a professional player uh, has less security, job security, probably than most uh, professions on the planet. You know, if you, if your performance is dip, you might be out of a contract, you, you know, your contract uh, just up and gets dissolved at the end of a season. So yeah, that's, that must carry an amount amount of, an immense amount of stress uh, with it. And, and a thing like a player's union would be able to provide that centralized body that a player would be able to reach out to in order to, to get resources, to help them through that type of difficult period, you know? So I think, I think the short-sightedness that a lot of individuals involved in the league and even, even fans, I mean, there's, there's terrible opinions that are showing up on, on the Voyager's forum and Facebook and some of the CPL uh, groups on Facebook as well uh, that are just simply short-sighted and, and, and try and reduce the concept of the players union into exactly what Jeff said, that it's just all about money and trying to, to, to get more money for, for the players. And don't get me wrong, the players, you know, they, they do need their wages increased, but at the same time, everybody's in this together, aren't we? Uh, and so this, this negative attitude towards the players union that the league has shown, it's quite frankly, it's, it's a, a, a black mark on the league. Yeah. I'd echo those sentiments as well. Um, a, a professional athlete's career is so fleeting. I mean, if you get mm -hmm. to 40, particularly in, in football, you've done amazingly well. Um, but it, it can get derailed by so many things like injury or, you know, just landing in the wrong situation and that kind of thing. And, and like you guys have both said, it's important to have resources on hand accessible for the players uh, to be able to, you know, overcome some of this stuff. I personally have never dealt with injury. I know, Sally, you've been laid up a few times, not playing professionally or anything, but, you know, dealing with an ankle or, or dealing with whatever. And JP, I'm sure you have too. Um, so I've been fortunate in that sense. So I don't really understand what it's like to have to try to come back from an injury. But I, I can't imagine losing your spot on a roster due to an injury, having to fight your way back, watch somebody else slide in and play well. Maybe it doesn't quite come back for you. Uh, that can't exactly be an easy thing. So I know we just wanted to touch on this quickly before we got into stuff, but uh, an important discussion. And I'm sure we'll have lots of chat about the union as uh, this podcast continues to, to grow and progress. But um, recording here on, uh, on Friday, uh, shortly after the uh, CPL U Sports draft, a big day on the CPL calendar. Um, take you behind the sausage factory a little bit. I know you don't want to see this, but this draft was done not today. It was done prior to. This gives uh, teams the ability to make graphics, ability to do interviews to get their content ready, especially uh, the league obviously coming out with a flood of articles right after. You wouldn't see that uh, with any other league, so obviously it's done before. And it gives One Soccer a nice little uh, package 
hour long show for them to, to put out and produce some. Um, we'll start with uh, the first overall pick and we're going to go team by team. So first and 16th, we'll talk about formats and all that stuff. We have thoughts about that later, but uh, we'll talk to players first. FC Edmonton was on the clock initially. Uh, they took uh, Thomas Gardner out of the university of British Columbia with their first uh, pick the first overall selection. And then number 16, second pick uh, of the draft was Jackson Farmer an Edmonton kid who also went to uh, UBC to me, JP Thomas Gardner, I don't agree with the fit on the team, but this screams to me, take the best player available and we'll see what happens. Cause Tommy Gardner would have probably been uh, a Pacific player each of the last two seasons. Had he been able to actually take part in camp, he had the injury in the first year and then obviously the pandemic the second year. Um, but he's back in the draft picked the third time. Maybe this is the charm for him. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you're right. Uh, take the best player available, you know, and, and Alan has worked with, um, you know, with, with Thomas before. So I think this is a safe pick for for Alan player that he knows uh, his intangibles knows knows what to bring to the team. Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I, I look at I look at the uh, the squad, you know, with with both picks, and uh, maybe this is an indicator of where Ramon Saria goes now because um, with Ramon Mele and and Amir, you're not thinking you're going to give a draft pick to another central defender um, such as uh, Jackson, who I do believe is ready at 25 years old. I think he's a player that at that age with his background at the game. I think he steps in and provides some nice cover for, for the Eddies. Um, but maybe this is an indicator that Ramon might move back into a holding midfield role uh, under Allen's watch. So that will be a fun one to watch based on this draft. Um, but yeah, but back to, you know, Thomas Gardner, it's an interesting one because I still think they need that, that real decisive number 10 uh, to, to complement this current roster. And I see him in, in a, in a good role in a, you know, he can play certainly in the, in the central mid here. Um, is he that out and out number 10 that I might've been looking for? I'm not sure, you know, what the Eddies need, uh, but certainly a good footballer, probably the best player available, you know, at least out in Western Canada, Alan went for him. Um, I, I expect him to be on the roster this year. I, uh, I agree with Gray in the sense that I think they grabbed the best player available and the one who besides Jackson Farmer is probably league ready. So he's, he's a kid who's probably at a point where he's going to be able to challenge for a, a starting 11 position. And that's something that the Eddies need. They need players that are all going to be able to challenge for that starting 11. Uh, because uh, I just, I, I mentioned in the previous episode, I felt that uh, midfield was a very big weak point for that squad. The midfield just kept getting overrun uh, in, in uh, PEI. Uh, during the Island games. And so he's yet another option. Can he play a little bit more of a defensive role? I'll be curious to see that if, if he can, then maybe Ramon stays in that back line instead of moving up to more of a D mid that he played in previous seasons. So um, yeah, with, with, with Gardner, I think it's, I, I have no problem with the pick. I think that he's probably the best option they could have taken. Um, they didn't, they don't necessarily need any, anybody in uh in goal, they don't need anybody up top. They really need to look a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball, more of a kind of a central mid, central defensive mid, and then, and then a defender. So, I mean, Jackson Farmer, that one was pretty well a no-brainer. I think everybody knew that they were going to take him. Um, whether we expected him to be taken with that first pick or to be taken uh, with their, their second pick, so last in the draft, I don't know. But, yeah, at, at 25 – this is Gardner's last chance, in my opinion. If he doesn't stick Farmers. with the Eddies now, uh, you know, if, if he doesn't crack that starting 11 or at least uh, become a, a squad rotation player and 
and see time, you know, intermittently throughout the season, he, he's probably, I don't know where he would end up, but uh, that'd probably be it for his, his professional career anyway. Yeah, I, it's not to say that I didn't like the Gardner pick. Uh, I've watched him play at UBC when they come here to play the Golden Bears. I just was a little bit concerned about the fit. But then again, I looked at some of the other players and I'm like, well, who do you take that would really, like JP said, play that number 10 role? I like the former pick, O'Leary uh, grad here, the soccer program there. And uh, he played in the, the, the pre-CPL series against Foothills when uh, FC Edmonton made that uh, or had that uh, – exhibition series with foothills is that all right jp oh yeah, yeah he was there you know and this is a there was not an fc Edmonton academy grad uh selected this year so a lot of my detractors will be very happy with that <laughs> and hey they've changed their uh drafting model uh, here's a question though do you not think right now easton and is the only striker on this roster and um you know i look at a player like uh Shambusho, um, who was selected by, you know, we'll get to that with Pacific and also a Charlie, Charlie Waters, I believe it is out of uh, University of, of Cape Breton that, you know, he didn't get drafted. And I'm thinking that there's these Canadian, you know, there, there's these eligible strikers in the draft right now and, and they've done nothing to, to strengthen that position for me. So interesting one um, in not going with a striker, knowing that they need one, but. Is there a move coming maybe is what you're, what you're saying. Maybe they have somebody lined up for up top and uh, this is kind of where they went, but. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I like, I like both the picks. I think they got two players who are ready to step in, I think is kind of where they're at. And I don't think having more players on your roster can certainly hurt. Um, why don't we go to the next team was Atletico Ottawa. They had picks two and 15. They went to, to Carlton. So right in uh, the city there to pick defender, Christopher Malekos with their second pick. And then number 15, they grabbed Reggie Lorea out of York, uh, the younger brother of uh, Toronto FC's Richie. Um, another defender. So Ottawa looking to strengthen the back line here, guys. Uh, is that kind of what you expected them to do? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, that was one of, that was their major weakness at the Island games outside of, of uh, really having to rely super heavily on, on Acuna to create on the offensive side. Um, they were just way too easy to break down on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I actually thought that um, York United was going to pick up Lorea uh, and that him and his brother be playing in the same city. But, uh, you know, I think, I think he's a good pickup. Um, and, and, you know, anything that they can do to, to bolster their back line at, or at least create some more competitiveness for the spots in, in their back line is, is going to be a major plus for them. And so these, both these picks fit. Yeah, I mean, first pick uh, a local, you know, someone out of a, a local school. So there's uh, there's some fan engagement that goes with that. Uh, obviously, they see him as a pretty versatile uh, player. I think big and physical, a strong defender. So they've lost some defenders. I mean, again, they, they you know, they're probably the team that right now we know the least about uh, with their intent uh, because they've not really announced many players. So, you know, and then I think with that 15th pick, you're you're looking at who's the best available. You know, because again, they need their domestic content. Um, they must have, you know, at least 15, 16 Canadians. Um, and let's find the, the best one available and go with, go with that player. So I think safe selections for them. And, but again, with such an open roster, it's hard to really uh, pull something out of what they've done there because they really could have selected any position and it would have made sense to us. So, but I, I think two good picks for them for sure. Malekos was a 2019 U Sports first team 
All-Canadian All-Star and uh, helped Carlton get to the U-Sports uh, tournament in 2019. So he has a little bit of big game experience in that sense. Um, Valor up next. They took the only goalkeeper, uh, Yuba Rayan uh, Yesley, pardon me, out of uh, Université de Montréal. And then uh, Tony McHale out of uh, Carlton. So another Raven taken by Valor. We've talked about Valor a little bit. JP, you have. They don't quite have the resources that some of the other teams do. The Manitoba schools are not very strong in soccer, uh, so they have to look elsewhere. Uh, they yeah. were maybe the only team that we were looking at to take a goalkeeper, and they did. And they got a big guy at six foot seven who's played a little bit overseas, played third division Italy, and uh, out of the Impact Academy, or I guess uh, Club de Foot Montreal Academy now, we have to call them. So um, do you like uh, these selections from uh, Valor FC? I do. I do. I think that, um, you know, I've often said, because I've always, I was offered a lot of international keepers, obviously from, from agents. And, you know, when you look at the makeup, have, you have to start with six Canadians on the pitch and you look at the depth of uh, talent we have as keepers in this country. I, I always felt that was a, a position that I would stay Canadian. Um, again, when you, when you think of your starting lineup, six Canadians on the field, you know that you've got a good one. There's a lot of good Canadian keepers. I think Gailey's done a great job here, whether or not this keeper sticks, um, for this season, I think he's got one for the future here. You know, you can't, you can't coach size. Um, and at six foot seven, you know, this is still a league that, you know, you look at the amount of crosses that happen in this league, the amount of balls that come in the box, the amount of set pieces that, that are, that are being scored on. Well, this is, this is a man that'll come and grab those before they find the head of an opposition striker, you know, at that, at that height. Um, I think it's a really good pick for, they've lost Pentamis as well. He's obviously back with Montreal. All indications are that he'll stick with the, um, um, I wanted to call him impact. Yeah, CF uh, Montreal. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the indications are he'll stick there. And um, so good. And then they get, they get another uh, young defensive player as well, you know. So I just, I think it's a good day at the office for Gailey. I think he's done his research here. Uh, and he's picked a couple of players that, you know, again, potential for, for this season. But if not, I, I think he's really high on them coming in, you know, in the future. So it's, it's a really good job for Gailey. Yeah, I, I definitely see Yesley as uh, challenging for that starting position. Um, they let they let Farago go, uh, who then of course got picked up by by the Cavs. But uh, Yesley, I mean, <laughs> you can't ask for a, a better potential starting keeper than a six foot seven giant in between the pipes for you. I mean, uh, and and yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, what happens in, in that, uh, that battle for the starting spot, uh, he, with having, having that professional experience in third division, Italy, I mean, that's, that's a good level. That is certainly, I'd argue, well, yeah, it's certainly a higher level than CPL at this point. Uh, so, I mean, he's probably besides, uh, besides farmer, I'd say he might be the most professional ready player that was available in the draft. So. As long as he can move a little bit. I know sometimes you get the height and, you know, a little bit slow there, but mm -hmm. all by all accounts, uh, they got a good one there in Winnipeg. Let's go to yeah. York United, Chris Campoli out of Ontario Tech. And then uh, they also took another a Ridgeback uh, OT, uh, Daniel Rafisiami. Uh, so a couple of uh, more local players for York. Um, again, what do you guys make of these picks? Uh, obviously staying close to home. A lot of teams did. But uh, these guys really did, uh, staying with the OT guys. Well, first off, what in the heck is Ontario Tech University? <laughs> Sorry, I've never heard of that university until it'd be, today. It'd be like if Nate or Sate or Syast was like, 
bigger and at a university level. Yeah, so they're kind of like what, they're kind of yeah. like what Mount Royal did out in in Calgary. Yeah, there, right? Made that jump from the technical side to the actual university side. Yeah, I saw that, and I'm just like, you know, Ontario Tech University. You know, that almost sounds like it's something that'd be out of a, a, a southeastern U.S. state. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I I um, I just don't know a heck of a lot about these two, so I'm going to leave it up to you two to kind of educate me even on this one. Yeah, well, for me, you know, I think that, um, you know, again, when you have Jimmy Brennan and Paul Stelteri looking at young players, number one, they both, I mean, they're both some of the most uh, accomplished, you know, senior professional players that Canada's produced, certainly. So so they'll, they'll know what they're looking for in players, and they've seen something in these two midfield players that they like. Um, that being so, I, so I think they're both going to be fine players. I think there's potential here with each of them. Um, my probably my bigger thoughts are not who they selected, but who they didn't. And I'm only saying that because this is a team that has just gone through a, you know, a complete rebuild. They're internationals. They they've brought in central midfield players, um, a lot of attacking players, and now they they've brought in two more. And you know, I look to the University of Cape Breton again. Uh, I'm not being paid by Cape Breton to to advertise them right now, um, but I but they've got two defenders there, two central defenders, uh, Watson and uh, Bald. Uh, I believe um, they're high, like they're, they're highly ranked players, you know, and they've got good background. I, I look at a team right now that, that is short with on central defenders. And I see two sitting on the table that, that didn't get selected uh, today by either team. And I'm thinking I might be going to central defenders. So they've got a plan. Obviously they, they've picked players. They like, um, I, I can only hold my hands up to the decisions they made, but my, my question is more who they didn't select based on their current team makeup that is published. I, I would agree with that. I looked for them to go a little bit more defensive. And there were 10 defenders taken out of the 16 picks. And uh, York didn't exactly jump on them either. But again, Jimmy knows what he's doing. Probably more so than I do, that's for sure. So he might be looking more know. developmental too. <laughs> I know, Sally, you might not agree with that. But they might be looking more at these guys on the developmental <laughs> contracts and filling out yeah. the back end a different way. Let's uh, well, for, I mean, oh, go ahead, Sally. Sorry, I was just going to say, considering they're uh, two offensive players at the moment, what a better club than for the two of them to be at right now than York United, considering all the internationals that they've signed in those attacking positions. They're going to just, they're going to be training with, with guys who have really had to fight to, uh, to get to where they've gotten um, with the amount, I just the extreme amount of, of competitive between players uh, in in the more Latin countries. So, yeah, these guys are going to be coming into a camp where they're going to have to fight to just even impress at all. So a good good opportunity for both of them. That's a good shout, Sally. Actually, I like that. I like the thinking there. Uh, Pacific uh, stayed close to home, obviously, going a couple of UBC guys. They took Christopher Lee, and they took uh, Victory Shambusho. I've seen Shambusho before. Guy can put the ball on the back of the net. He's going to have to step it up a little bit, though, at this next level. Meanwhile, Christopher Lee is a guy who hasn't actually played any U-sports minutes. There were seven guys taken out of the 16 who haven't actually set foot on on a pitch in U-sports yet. And uh, Lee's one of them, a first-year guy. But, again, Pa and and crew out there are pretty familiar with these guys, having obviously seen them close to home and and worked with them uh, at, at different youth levels as well. Yeah, I love it. I, I think these are two very good picks for that program. Um, the first one in particular, I think Lee, you know, Marcel de Young is getting, he's getting on. Um, but I think you've got this young prospect who both Pa and James Merriman will know very well from the Whitecaps days. Uh, so they'll know all about this kid's character and his potential more than anyone else will that's in our league. Um, 
what better time to bring in a young left back right now than when you've got Marcel de Jong there to mentor that player. So I think that is extremely smart uh, drafting on their part. I, I think they've thought that one out. And even with uh, Shambusho, I think this is a player that, that has some long-term potential. He doesn't need to come in and score right away. They've got an attack in place. They've got their front line in place. If he comes in and, and manages to stick on that roster, then you know, he'll be there to provide some minutes, some support, but he'll be really there for an education. You know, he's got some players in front of him with some good experience and, um, and he can play across the front line. I don't think he's, you know, stuck to strictly being a nine, but yeah. So, so I like their draft day, but I really like their first pick. There you go, Sally. Anything to add about the two UBC Thunderbirds who uh, had four guys drafted? They were a quarter of the draft here at UBC. Yeah, you know, I'm actually a little bit surprised that there were that many players that were drafted from that UBC team. I really didn't rate them because I watched a couple of the games that they played against the U of S and the Huskies handled them. Uh, you know, they weren't, you know, you always hear of either Trinity Western or UBC coming in and expect that it's going to be a fairly one-sided match, but it never was. The The Huskies didn't really have any issues against them. And actually that, I, I wanted to add this in, I didn't want to forget to mention this, but um, Saskatoon boy, Nikki Bikus was, uh, one of the draft eligible players got skipped over, uh, which honestly did surprise me. And sure. Maybe this is a little bit of, uh, a little bit of bias, hometown bias, but at the same time, he was the best player in all three of the Saskatchewan selects matches in the, in the Sask summer soccer series, say that 10 times fast, but, um, yeah, so uh, I actually expected that he was a player that was going to go to one of the Western Western teams, and he didn't. I actually thought that he might be a good selection uh, for for Pacific just because he'd be able to slot into that midfield already, and he plays uh, the type of game that Pacific plays. So, um, yeah, outside of that, I think Shibusho is going to be a really good uh, pick moving forward. I hope that he actually sticks and has the ability to train with guys like Bustos uh, who are going to be able to help him further develop his finishing. Uh, what better player for uh, an attacker to be able to train with than, than Marco Bustos right now? Because, yeah, it'll be tough. He'll be hard-pressed to find a guy that can finish better than him in the league. Yeah, Bikos was one of the guys I was looking at t- uh, somebody picking in. Another guy who played in that Sasseless series, uh, J.P. Glossmacher out of uh, Trinity, uh, sorry, yeah. Thompson Rivers. Um, but I know he's going for his master's. Uh, at TRU. So maybe that scared people off a little bit. It seems like he's got education first and then, but I can see him sticking, you know, at some point in the future. Let's uh, go now to, 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 where are we in the list? We're at uh, Calgary uh, going to Calgary, Victor Latoury out of Mount Royal and uh, Ethan Keene also uh, MRU Cougars. Um, Latoury is a guy that's played there before he played there before he actually went to uh, Mount Royal and uh, made in two appearances, I think one in the regular season and one in the cup match. And then now he's gone through the draft process and picked again by Tommy. Uh, Tommy staying close to home, loves to do it. Uh, what do you guys make of what uh, Cavalry did today? Well, I, I'm trying to recall, but uh, either one or both actually had some time with Foothills in the PDL days, didn't they? I would do imagine. So. I yeah. don't know that for sure, but I would guess that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty sure that Tommy is very, very familiar with both players. Uh, and I want to say with um, El Gandur, was he playing with MRU or was he with yeah. UFC? No, he, was, he was at MRU. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm actually surprised that he wasn't uh, one of the two from that college that were, that was selected again, because he was Cavalry's first or second pick, I think in 2019. Yeah. 
for that first election and they, and they passed over him. So I'm curious if, if something's kind of happened there, if maybe they've lost faith in him as a, as a potential professional player, but you know what, maybe it's good to see a couple of, uh, of guys, uh, new guys get a chance. Um, I'd be curious to see if Latoury is able to stick with that cavalry squad who, man, they just have such strong attacking players already that would be a very, very difficult uh, roster to crack. So if either of them actually end up uh, earning uh, contracts with the club, even if they're just the U-Sport contracts, good on them because that is going to be a very, very difficult squad to crack. I think they both fit in the U21 category, so maybe they do sign developmental contracts, get some, mm-hmm. get some of those minutes early on, and then help Cavalry get that 1,500. JP? That, that'll that'll yeah. be their only saving grace. Well, I think that's, I think you look to that, to these signings to accomplish that because that, that's a problem at the moment for Tommy is um, they only have one U21 player currently on their roster. Um, defenders is the other problem now with, with uh, obviously the losses of tour. I think that, um, you know, Victor Latour is a player I know very well. I mean, I spent a lot of time with Victor getting ready for Canada summer games and he was very close as a, a an underage player to make in that squad. Um, really technical, different than what he's got in the midfield. Now he's, a, he is, he is a complete 180 from that current existing central mid that that's uh, at Calvary. He is technically extremely good. 1v1, uh, extremely, extremely good 1v1. Um, gets in good areas, you know, reads the game well off the ball. He's a kid that I quite like. It gives them something different, you know, with what they really have. When when you look at that midfield now of Ledge and Atacube and uh, DeChera and Elliott Simmons, Victor's just a different player than all of them. So it could be a nice change of pace in the game if they need to change it up, maybe get more ball control in there. Um, you know, I, I think the second the second pick is a replacement for Dean Northover. You know, I think you look to that. It's a player that, of course, has come through Foothills. Tommy will know him very, very well uh, with the affiliation that, that they have with that club. Um, Tommy's might have worked with him in the past there, I'm sure. So, yeah, th- this is a, I think this is a really good selection there. It's a young player you can bring in who can, you know, again, mentor under uh, Mohamed Farsi and, um, and and give a kid time to come up. But he's athletic. He's quick, loves to get up and down the line. Tommy loves that. If you look at the nature of some of those players, exactly what Dean Northover did. But now you've got a 19-year-old doing it instead of a 28-year-old doing it. Um, so probably a good replacement, you know. And, and, and I mean, Tommy, I guess, is the new, uh, the new me, you know, selecting <laughs> local university players and keeping them at home. So there you go. Well, it's worked out pretty well for him. <laughs> I'd love to see it. You would, would never do it. that. His his <laughs> flow in full on yeah. mode right now. Like it's in full quarantine mode. So uh, he would yeah, definitely yeah. not get any more magazines. He would no longer be in Calgary's <laughs> top forty at forty. All that would be gone if he shaved that head. So yeah. <laughs> did you ever buy? Did you ever buy one of those wigs that the foot soldiers were selling? No, I no. Didn't. why don't we move along here hfx up next the wanderers went to uh, carlton the third raven taken stefan karajavanovich who scored 35 goals in 37 games for the ravens and they also took a defender out of uh, the university de montreal uh kareem sow um these seem like two pretty decent picks for hfx uh the first one can mentor under some of those other uh, strikers that they have. Obviously, we talked about their attacking prowess before, and Sal is, you know, another defender out of U Sports, and uh, I know Stephen Hart likes to, to draft those guys and give them chances. Yeah. I think Sal, Sal was uh, part of um, FC Montreal's squad at one point. You may be right, I and I think, too, he was part of the 2018 team that won U Sports as well as the national championship with the Caravan. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, he, uh, he's going to a good place working under Steven out in, in Halifax will really help him further develop his game. And it's, and it's a position I think that Halifax definitely is going to want to create a little bit more competitiveness in, uh, during training too. So I think, uh, Sal showing up is, is going to give him a little bit more of that competitiveness, which is, which is great. So they're, they're obviously we talked a lot about it the last, episode where they're quite stacked up top but you know their question mark still is is on the defensive end so you know it's another piece that uh, who knows could surprise could end up cracking the 11 so yeah listen i think um i think hardy wins the draft again for me um but i'm going to give a spec i mean with the caveat to to forge so but i think um hardy's done it again you know for me uh stefan is, um, and I don't want to try to say the, the last name, Mike, because you've just said it so eloquently, actually, Grayson. So, um, it's Terry Jovanovich, isn't it? I was panicking looking at it. Yeah. I was like, there's a yeah, lot of letters Car- there. Yeah, yeah, it's Terry Jovanovich. Is yeah, he I, silent? So, no, anyway. Yeah, but I think he is the most CPL ready player in this draft. Um, this is an, I love this kid up top. He can play out across the top line, any three positions. He is direct, he is 1v1, he is right at you. He dribbles with pace. You know, he checks off the box that he's spent some time playing in Quebec at, at Blaytonville. So if you come from Quebec, you've got a chance to make Halifax Wonders um, or have played in <laughs> Quebec. So so he's done that. I think he's the most ready player in the draft that can come in and have an impact. And you look across Hardy's front line, he's got some quality there. But now this kid gives them a chance to rotate, keep players fresh again. We expect a condensed season. We expect a lot of games in, 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 in a short period of time. That being the case, then uh, he gives them some really nice flexibility where it's just attacking player after attacking player and fresh legs coming at you. Um, so, so before you break into the next, I was just going to say, I think um, if I'm Alessandro Rigi, I would be perhaps a little bit nervous because I think uh, Kari Ivanovic might be able to come in and really challenge for that, that left winger spot. He is versatile enough to be able to, to potentially slot in up there. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's what you want, isn't it? Competition for places. This kid will come and do that. He's ready right now. You know, I I spent a lot of time looking at him before I kind of just went back to my, my roots with my Academy guys and my draft in my own draft process. But um, I I like this player and, you know, and and Sal is, um, you know, I think he plays on the left side uh, centrally can also play as a a left fullback, Uh, good versatility, but I think he offers some nice cover back there. Um, yeah. And again, he's just, he seems to be a player that will suit Hardy quite a bit. So it could be another draft day that Hardy's won. It'd be interesting too, to see if Halifax is down late in the match that they need to get that goal. Like all of a sudden they could just throw out a plethora of attacking options and really probably cause some havoc for teams. So it'll be interesting to see how Steven deploys a lot of those players. Final team in the draft, uh, Forge FC, the champions. They went uh, to Concordia out of Quebec. Uh, Garvin, Miche, Matusalov with their eighth pick and then the ninth pick right after the only Cape Breton caper. So the ninth total uh, this year was uh, Jose de Cunha, uh, a Portuguese kid who has yet to actually step foot on the field for Cape Breton. But um, back-to-back picks gives you a little bit of an advantage, I think. And JPU said that maybe the caveat here was that Forge could have a better draft than Halifax. Uh, you like these two players. I do. In particular, Jose uh, da Cunha. I think he's the sleeper pick. I think he could come out of this maybe the best player in the long run. I mean, what a background, obviously, with sporting uh, in Portugal coming through their system. Uh, a left-footed central defender. Y- you can't find them. I mean, they're so hard. it's so hard to find a left-footed central defender in Canada. 
they've got this kid in here. He'll count as a domestic player uh, as long as he's at university. So, so he's a sleeper pick for me. And he's the one that I think has uh, some real good pedigree. Technical, both players are technical. I think that even um, uh, Garvin, um, he's physical. He, he's a bit of a beast. You know, he's muscular. He's great stature. He's got pace. He can play football. He fits Bobby because he plays football. This kid will get the ball on the ground. He'll beat you with a pass. He can beat you in the dribble. He'll join the attack from a deep position. So two fantastic. And again, we're talking about a team that has lost David Edgar and potentially Daniel Kreutzen. So, so what has Bobby done right away? He's gone out and picked up two players that immediately fill those losses on his first team. But I think in, in particular, this, uh, the Portuguese, um, you know, the Portuguese lad is one that uh, I think has the potential maybe to step in here and start, you know, with, with that background he has. So I, I mean, I scouted him last year, just outside of school to have a look at him to maybe bring him in regardless of school. So, so Bobby's done me one better and gets him as a, as a domestic player through university. So um, there you go. Well done, son. But uh, yeah, so he's the question. If he, if he lives up to what I think he could, maybe, maybe he challenges Hardy for the draft winner's title. Well, and I think you just kind of opened a little bit of a can of worms uh, in saying that, you know, he's he's clearly Portuguese. Don't think he has any way of qualifying for the Canadian men's national team unless he lives here for long enough. Uh, and yeah, the fact that they're able to exploit that little loophole in the way that the, the player draft works and that he would count as a domestic just because he's going to a Canadian school, you know, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he uh, has potentially great pedigree coming through sporting system and, uh, right now forge is badly in need of, uh, some players for their back line. I, I can't see Kreutzen not, uh, getting a, getting a chance in Europe at this point. He's just been heads and tails, the best defender in the league now two years in a row. So yeah, likely definitely without Edgar, likely without Kreutzen, and here you have a uh, potential fill-in that you're able to get basically a, a, an international under the guise of being a Canadian player. So that brings up maybe the next topic we should talk about. This is the third draft that we've had. The format is interesting. I don't, I don't like the snake, but that's just me. I, I think if you finish last, you should be rewarded with one and nine, not one in 16 to be mm-hmm. the camps and get two back-to-back picks. Doesn't seem right, but you know, that's another thing. And the, if you're an international going to a Canadian school, counting is domestic. I don't agree with that either. But again, open the floor up. If we could, what would you change about the draft? Sally, I think we'll start with you. What, what would you change? Would you get rid of it maybe? Would you tweak the format? How would you, how would you go about kind of changing things up here? Well, number one, I would get rid of that, uh, that little loophole rule of how a player like Dacuna can somehow be considered a domestic just because he's going to a Canadian university and he's clearly not, not national team eligible, at least not at this point. Uh, that completely spits in the face of the whole concept that the league is, is by Canadians for Canadians with a, with a focus on obviously trying to develop talent that can have a push towards the national team. Uh, and then, yeah, the snake draft is an odd choice for format in the sense that forge, even though they didn't get to have their first pick until pick number eight, well, they just, they got two picks in a row. So they don't even really have to be careful with who they select. They get that they get two players in a row. So as long as, as one of the players that they're targeting is still available, they they've already won in that sense. And, uh, you know, in this case, Edmonton's lucky because nobody touched farmer. 
he's likely a player that they had earmarked ahead of time saying, you know, we definitely want him. And he was still available for their last pick. So they're, you know, maybe they took a little bit of a risk not taking him first, but I'm sure that there was conversations that happened beforehand just to make sure that, you know, nobody was going to grab him and that they'd have a little bit more freedom with that first pick. It'd be a gentleman's agreement in place. Yeah, essentially. And you can't tell me that, uh, you know, the different managers aren't, aren't having little zoom chats like we are right now with, uh, with cups of brandy, uh, discussing <laughs> who's going to be, who's going to be taken. So, um, you know, otherwise, otherwise I think, um, the U sports draft is necessary, uh, in order to bring a bit more relevance to, to U sports soccer in general, it's, still uh ridiculous to me that U sport isn't looked at at all by mls that's a totally different uh conversation of course <laughs> which maybe one day we'll get into but uh you know there needs to be some avenue for these these uh college athletes from from canada and and at least the cpl has something in place for them to, to aim for so um yeah, I guess, uh, you know, get rid of the snake drafts, ch- at least change that and uh, and take a look at how that loophole exists are really the major changes that I would make. JP, go ahead. Oh, I mean, I've made my comments known when I was in the league about the snake draft. In year one, our very first draft, there was nothing to go by. So we picked our, our draft order out of a hat. You know, that's the only, that's the only fair way to do it. So we, we got our, our draft number, a snake, a snake draft made sense because your draft position was determined by the, the luck of a pick out of a hat, you know, to see where you're drafting. So in that situation, absolutely. Since then though, I mean, it's not like there's not other professional sports league that has leagues that have drafts in North America that we can look at and say, how do they do it? And how have they been doing it for so many years? I mean, it makes no sense to reward the best team in the league with two picks back to back in a short draft like this is just, it's, it's nonsense. Um, I said the same thing when, when Wanderers had first pick on their behalf, it makes no sense. It never will to me. Um, but there's that, you know, as far as the, the domestic, so, so part of this partnership um, that, that the CPL has with U sport, I mean, part of that is a give back, you know, as well. So the CPL wants to help U sport and, and for so many years, uh, in the past, all of our top athletes, male and female, tried to go to NCAA, tried to get a scholarship down to the States, wanted to go to the big schools down there. Um, how, do we, how do we help youth sport programs here um, grow their programs, legitimize their programs, and attract talent over the, uh, the NCAA teams? Well, one is to offer the caveat of telling an international player, if you go to school here, you can actually play in the CPL while going to school in the offseason and count as a Canadian player. So there's a good chance you, you can actually stay here and play, you know, over the, over the uh, off season for you, or, you know, when you're not in school, that's a carrot. And, and that's a way for our youth sport programs to hopefully attract, you know, some other players. And I mean, look at, look at, I mean, Cape Breton, I think at 12 internationals last year, you know, a lot of players with really good backgrounds playing in, in great environments, this helps that. So, you know, we, good, we have though? to, well, maybe it is because it is, oh. if, listen, I'll, what I will say, if Canadian players up until now, thought that they needed to leave Canada to get proper competition and proper development, then hundred percent, it's a problem and, and had to be fixed. The players themselves are telling us our programs aren't good enough to develop them. So we're going to the States. Um, we have to fight that somehow and keep our players here. 
you know, that that's the way I feel about that. So <laughs> no, yeah. that's fair. I, I kind of thought about this all afternoon long before we got on here. I hemmed and hawed part of me at one point. I said, you know what, just, t- just trash the draft. Why, why have it? Why not just have three roster slots, two or three, whatever the number is aside from your 23. Cause don't forget if you, these developmental contracts count against the 23. So if you sign your two guys, you have 21 guys until they go back to school in August. And then you have to bring in two guys for the last two and a half, three months of the season, which I don't agree with. The developmental contract should count outside of your, your roster cap and your salary cap. But I also think that the U sports draft is important. It is important to keep the tie with U sports. It's important to keep developing that relationship and give the guys in U sports an opportunity to say, look at what Shaw has done. Look at what, Balbinati's done. Look at what you know. All these guys have done. Yeah. I can do that too. I think that is important. And obviously, I, I you know work for the U of A. All full disclosure, um, call their games. So I'm definitely a, a supporter of U Sports. But if you're just going to draft these guys and send them back and then put them through the draft again, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Right. Right. So. Can I, can I just quickly, sorry, Jeff, I just, because no, obviously I, I've taken a, a lot of heat for my drafting policy, you know, with the, the way I've handled the U sport draft here. And so, but I approached it in a different way, you know, number one, yes, they, they count as roster players. You know, they, they're the money you contribute goes towards your salary cap. So there is that. So my preference, you know, again, knowing that um, we've got a school here like the U of A um, that we put five, you know, a lot of our players end up going to, um, you know, when they're out of our academy, but these are my, my attitude was I'm going to draft these players in year one. Um, they're going to stay, if they're not ready to sign a professional, number one, at the end of the academy year, is that player ready to sign a pro contract? If they are, the decision now goes to that player and their family. Do you want to go pro now full-time or do you want to still go to school and we'll draft you? Um, and you could do both. What do you really, because no one's getting rich and retiring off of their CPL wage. You know, so I'm a big believer that let's help these kids. A lot of them that might not be a player that's going to get a lot of minutes right away, go to school. So I drafted locally from players I knew to keep them here because then they could go to U of A to a great program, really good program, great school, good soccer program. They would play the university year, university season's done. They come right back into FC Edmonton to our first team, train with us every day. You know, I get them into inner squads, things like this. Their development continues in four years time or three years time, depending on what they wanted to do. They're a graduated player. Uh, Whether or not I don't have to draft them at that point, I can sign them as a free agent when they graduate, Uh, but they have a degree. So no matter what happens in the soccer career now, they've got a degree. And um, that was my method. That's why I drafted local. That's why I kept them here in school. I used the youth sport draft program to continue the development of our young players that we've already contributed significantly to with a fully funded program doesn't exist right now but but when i was certainly doing it it did and that was that was the idea of it you know and i took grief for that but i still i still stick by it i still think that i was trying to create the best environment we had some players not ready to david chung not ready to sign a pro contract right out of the academy but a very very good player so he goes to school we draft him he stays in school he's a player at 21 22 could probably come and play in this league based on his talent level so I would have drafted him this year, by the way, if I was still running FC Edmonton. So I would have been, uh, I would have been hammered again, but yeah. Anyhow, there <laughs> Him you and go. Noah, the, the two U of A guys who declared. Yeah. You know, honestly, you know, so, so that was my attitude with how to use the draft for local players and help continue their development, give them the best of both worlds, school and professional football experience. 
So. You know, to me, to me, I think that the um, the U Sports draft at the moment is a necessity just because it is essentially the highest level of football in this country beneath the league outside of the tier three leagues, League One Ontario, PLSQ. Now, with those two being mentioned, I do think that once um, a, a real focus starts happening on developing tier three leagues across the country, obviously BC League One is hopefully still in the works and will hopefully be getting launched once the pandemic is over. And then looking at some type of tier three league, either just Alberta or else Alberta and the rest of the prairies, and then maybe one uh, in the Atlantic region. Once that that third tier of, of we'll call it semi-pro football is is uh, in place, I I really question if um, if even CIS football is going to need to matter this much anymore, or if it'll just be something that happens more in the universities and suddenly you'll see those tier three leagues become more of the feeders into, into the CPL clubs. So that, that's something that I think is going to be worth watching moving forward. And, and I kind of hope that that's the way that it, it actually evolves. I think that'd be a much healthier pyramid um, in the long run. So. I just like to see uh, the players that are on developmental contracts outside of your 23 and yeah. outside of the salary cap and I'd like to see a little bit more rights retention. If you draft a guy and don't sign him, you hold his rights for another year. If you've signed him to a development contract, maybe he gets two years kind of rights, that kind of thing. So, right. you know, they have a chance to go back and develop and then you can sign him again. But I mean, yeah, this is probably, you know, something we could debate till the cows come home. But, uh, you know, we're actually running a little bit long, boys. So oh, no. uh, I know. Surprise, surprise. We did it the first time. So why don't we kind of yeah. cut things off here? I know there's a couple other things we wanted to get to, but we can save them for another show. So yeah, uh, we'll cut it off here. That's good. Yeah. Jeff Salisbury, tell us where we can find you online so we can heckle yeah, absolutely. you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Jeff D Salisbury. Uh, and uh, then on Facebook, I'm usually uh, posting semi-frequently within a majority of the CPL fan groups, as well as the Voyageurs uh, Facebook. Um, rarely ever go on the Voyageurs forum anymore, but that's sort of another topic. But uh, yeah, um, so definitely hit me up with uh, what you thought of what we discussed on this episode. I'd love to chat with other people about it. JP? Yep, you can find me at uh, Jeff underscore Paulus. On, and I'm only on Twitter. I'm not cool enough to be on Instagram. I don't understand Snapchat, and uh, I don't feel like uh, promoting Facebook. So you're not uh, you're not on TikTok doing all the dances. No, I am. I have an alias. Uh, I wear a mask, and I, I my moves are amazing. <laughs> I believe that, that actually. Yeah. It's a Tommy Wilden Jr. mask with full head of hair, and uh, <laughs> exactly it. He just changes. He just changes into various different suits <laughs> to see which one he looks best in. Right. Outstanding. <laughs> And you can find me at Grayson Knutson. And um, yeah, I'm not cool enough to be on any of the other stuff too. Well, I am, but I'm just not going to share it. <laughs> and uh, the vodcast itself, at the cynical chow one is our Twitter handle. Uh, you can find uh, us on YouTube as well, the cynical channel. Just search it out. And uh, as for our audio only podcast, we're on all the, all the catchers. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, the whole nine yards. So got some really good feedback on episode one, both part one and part two so uh let us know what you think hit us up send us a message dm tag us however you want to get in contact with us and uh yeah this has been fun boys we'll uh, do it again next week how's that sound <laughs> go again yeah <laughs>
Can't wait. All yeah. right. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Yeah. Take Cheers. care. Cheers.